Hey, go ahead if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're picking right back up in James. James chapter three. James is also uh, called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And what that means is that it contains instructions for us um, in, in a lot of ways like the instructions that we receive in what's called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, books like Proverbs and Psalms and uh, Ecclesiastes. Because at the end of the day, um, for us, we might ask the question, how am I supposed to live? What does it look like to actually live as a Christian in this world? And so James is one of these books that gets really practical with us. And it gives us, it gives the Christian um, instruction in wisdom for how to live and how to navigate uh, the world that we find ourselves in. And so the instruction that James was giving these Christians 2,000 years ago, man, it's just fully applicable to us today. And that's the great thing about scripture is that it doesn't go out of date. It doesn't date itself, right? It's not like listening to some like old song from like the 70s and 80s now and you go, it just sounds so silly and their hair was so weird and I feel embarrassed even listening to it right now, unless you're me and that's just the music I like. But normally you would say, man, things have moved on a little bit. I don't know if it's applicable to where I'm at. And yet what we see with scripture is that it's always applicable to where we're at. And this morning we're gonna talk a little bit about a really problem problematic area for, for most of us, um, and that is the tongue. We're going to talk about the words that we say and the weight that the words that we say, wh what it carries for us, because really controlling our tongue is controlling our life. Uh, you think about a hammer, right? And a hammer can be used to commit a crime, or it can also be used to build a house. And so in that same way, like a hammer, your tongue, it has the power to either build or destroy. And the question, of course, that we come back to when we talk about our words and our tongue is what is its intended purpose? What is really the intended purpose of a hammer at the end of the day? Well, it's to, it's to build beautiful, useful, functional things. So James is going to show us really just this awful, sobering truth about our tongues. And he's going to open our eyes to the destructive influence they have so that we don't leave a trail of dead bodies behind us who are victims of its venom. Because controlling your tongue is controlling your life so that you can be a life giver to others. So here's James chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 3. So what it says. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting in fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil 
full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So that's where we're going to end today uh, in James. And what we're going to do is just look at three truths that James gives us, describes to us about the tongue. And then after we look at that, we're going to look at some practical things that we can do in order to have godly control over our tongues. And the first thing that we see here when we dive into verse three is that the tongue contains this subtle but potent power. If you go back a little bit to our passage from last week, what does it say here um, in verse two, but that we all stumble in many Ways. And what James was pointing out specifically to uh, pastors, specifically to teachers and preachers, why it was, I don't know, last week was like the most uncomfortable message I've ever preached to any of y'all. I felt like I was just preaching a sermon to myself. I was pleading with you to pray. It put me in a really vulnerable place, which was good for me. And I thank you guys for praying, but it was difficult. But what he's pointing out here is that, man, we are all people that are susceptible to sin. And so when he gets into this idea about one of the major chief ways that we sin, it's interesting that he focuses on our words. He focuses on the tongue because it contains a subtle but potent power. And what he does is he provides us with some really great illustrations here to show us that the tongue contains a subtlety that can also be poisonous when it is acted upon in ways that don't give glory to God. So he says, man, this, a horse, gives us the example of a horse, which is, by the way, I'm not a horseman. And uh, for those of you who've known me for like five minutes, know that. Um, But man, a, a horse is just this impressive and enormous beast, right? Um, man, it's, it's, it's an animal that's able to bear just an incredible amount of weight, able to run at these amazing speeds. And yet, it's also an animal that can be controlled by even a child when we put a bit in its mouth. If you ever take a trip to Long Beach, California, you can see this massive ocean liner um, called the Queen Mary, man. It's just this titanic of a vessel, all controlled by a comparatively small rudder, which is what James points out here. It's a wonder that something with so much volume and weight, and if you see the Queen Mary, it's just ginormous. You just, you're like, your mind is blown that somebody could have built something this large. But it's, it's amazing to think that it could be controlled by something so relatively small and unimpressive, comparatively speaking, as the rudder, right? So in the same way, the tongue in and of itself, it doesn't seem like it could possibly have the influence that it does, and yet, according to James, it does. Just like a tiny spark in the woods can set an entire forest on fire, the tongue is a small spark that turns into a fire that can set a person's world ablaze. In fact, its very nature, James says, is to spread unrighteousness and to boast 
of great things. So he gives us this sense of really the kind of stuff that comes spewing out of our mouths. And he wants us to get just a vivid sense of the power of the tongue, to see its inherent danger. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Man, that's just heavy language. That, that there's something metaphorical about that, but there's something incredibly true about that. Though it's a small member of our body, it can alter the course of our life and also the lives around us for either good or evil. So James, man, he just doesn't mince words. He says it's a fire set by hell. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about the effect and the power of the tongue. Which, by the way, that word hell is the same word that Jesus used to describe a place outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna, which was just this burning, perpetually burning garbage dump where all the waste and the refuge would go. A place of just filth that never stopped burning. James tells us the tongue is so potent that it has the ability to stain the entire body. Kind of like when a kid leaves a crayon in their pants and you throw it in the wash because you didn't know the crayon was in the pants. And for the 97th time, when you tell them to empty their pockets before they throw that stuff in the hamper, they don't. And now you got some just beautiful magenta clothing after that, right? For the the rest of your life. It may be small, but it spreads. You know, and I was thinking about Man, just the words that have impacted my life for good or bad. You think about that? And somebody, there's probably somebody in your life that said even a couple of words to you at some point in your life and you have never forgotten those words because it revealed something to you about yourself that had a negative influence on you. Maybe you were told at one point that you were ugly. Or maybe you were told that you were, you were no good at something that you strive to be good at. And we carry that with us. What's the big deal, Ronnie? It's just a word. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What a lie. Who, I mean, who made that up? Somebody that didn't read James right? But man, those words hurt. Words, man, can inflict wounds and we can carry wounds from words for a lifetime. Proverbs 25.11 tells us a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So this helps us understand that good words, helpful words, encouraging words, they're like ornaments on us. They make whatever they adorn more beautiful. That's the importance of the words that we have. That's the potency of the words that we speak. They're small, but they have power. The second thing James says in verses seven or eight, in seven to eight, is that words first off contain a subtle subtle but potent power, and secondly, they can't be tamed. They cannot be tamed. The tongue has an uncontrollable and predatory nature to it. Have you ever thought of your words that way? 
Hey, you mean my words can be like predatory? Well, they can. And ironically, James says, man, we can tame animals, right? We can make like, if you've ever been to like one of those water parks, like SeaWorld, you know, we can, we can make whales jump through hoops. We can train dogs to hunt and to guide us. And we can do all of these things for animals, but we cannot tame this sort of unique animal that is the tongue. James tells us it's a restless evil. It's full of poison, meaning it's not satisfied to be silent, but it strives to speak and to attack with this venom-like ferocity. I mean, this is just a problem, right? It's a problem for those of us who have the spirit of God living inside of them. You know, Melissa and I were having just this lively conversation about my tongue yesterday, uh, not even in preparation for this sermon, by the way. It just sort of came out, right? And, uh, but we talked about some of the ways that I use my tongue in conversation that aren't always uh, the most helpful. At times when it would be wise to be silent, I will speak out of a desire to control or because I'm fearful of other people's opinions. Sometimes it's from a level of pride and insecurity that's not nearly as subtle as I wish it was. There's times when I should be more wise about how I phrase certain words and instead I I come off in a way that is not as encouraging or uplifting to others. And sometimes I, I make jokes at other people's expense just to lift myself up. There is an untamable quality about my words. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us a man without self-control. In other words, we could read that a, a man that is unable to tame the words that come out of his mouth. It says is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's the effect that it has on the person that can't tame their tongue. It makes a person vulnerable and unguarded against spiritual attacks. We do ourselves and we do others harmed when our tongue is untamed because untamed words have the power to untether others. So words contain a subtle but potent power. They cannot be tamed. And finally, in verses 9 through 12, they can be a conduit for both good and evil, James says. The tongue does this funny thing for us in that it reveals the dual nature of our sinful hearts. James points out that from the same tongue, we bless God and we curse others. Some of us will stand here this morning singing those songs of praise that we just sung and then walk out and speak unmentionable things. So some of us will be singing Christ, our sure and steady anchor. And when we get home, we're going to, we're going to get on Facebook and we're going to click off some things that have nothing to do with the words that we just sang in praise and adoration to Christ, right? 
Some of us are going to walk out of here and we're going to have conversations with our spouse with a tone and with a heart that many of us might be surprised at. And it's going to have nothing in common with the words that we sang today and the words that we spoke to each other after the service. James points out that what's so interesting about what I just described, what he just described, is that we don't even see this in nature. That's how strange this is when we talk about our words. He says a freshwater spring doesn't also provide salt water. Like the two things can't come out of it. He said a fig tree can't produce olives and a grapevine can't produce figs. So a tongue that blesses and curses, it's, it's almost like something that goes against the laws of nature. How is this so? James says these things ought not to be so. And the Apostle Paul, by the way, helps us understand that at the root of this really bizarre contrast that James is talking about here is that it's really just our flesh warring against the spirit. The Apostle Paul, man, he, he, understa- he understood what James is talking about. He understands what we're going through. In fact, in, in Romans chapter seven, Paul cries out in grief. He goes, man, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Man, I have a heart that wants to do this, but essentially, I'm paraphrasing now, I have a mouth that keeps leading me over in this direction. So I have a desire to do what God has called me to do. I have a desire to please God. I have a desire to do the things that the spirit inside me is telling me are good for me and please the Lord. And yet, the words that come out of my mouth and then the actions that follow are anything but related to that. And so Paul's like just in a, in a conundrum. He said, how is that possible? How do I have these two natures in me that are warring against each other? Each other, A wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to Christ. Essentially saying, because of Christ, I am saved from this body of death. And yet I have these two natures that are warring inside of me, man. I got this freshwater spring and I got this salt water that's coming out of my mouth because it's mingled together in my heart at the same time. And James tells us that what happens with our tongue is that it stains the entire body. So James, he paints this grim picture for us. Warning, warning us about the power of the untamed tongue that is this conduit for good and evil. So what's, what's really going on here? What, what do we take from this? If nobody can tame the tongue, and James just said it, it wasn't me, nobody can tame the tongue, what hope is there if nobody can tame that thing? If this is the truth about our tongue, how do we experience a transformation of the tongue. Two things. The first one is this, is that the taming of the tongue is really the taming of the heart. And always the heart, Ronnie. Always going after the heart. There's nothing else to go after. Well, Ronnie, it feels like these sermons always end up in that place. There's nothing else to go after. Do you guys get that? It has to originate here. This is the origin of everything that comes out of here is in here. 
And if I give you a list of 20 things to go out to do, and this goes undealt with, we've accomplished nothing. And I have to stand before God, and he's going to say, that wasn't preaching the gospel. Silencing the mouth without surfacing what's in the heart will make you outwardly polite, but inwardly poisonous. That's what we're talking about here. That's really what James is driving at. Luke 6.43 tells us, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. This is Jesus talking. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. It kind of sounds like what James is saying. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good then he says, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of what? The abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. There's the sobriety of what it is that we're driving at this morning, right? It's out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. So the taming of the tongue, it has to first be the taming of the heart. In other words, I, I, I will know the real you and you will know the real me from the words that flow from our mouth because they come from the abundance of the heart, right? When you look at a fountain and the water is all cloudy and it's all muddy and it's all dirty, you're not looking at the fountain and thinking there's something wrong with it. You're looking at the source. You're trying to figure out where it's coming from that it keeps coming through the actual fountain and it's ending up that way. So the heart is the source of what comes out of our mouth. And for some of us, it's just things like, like criticism, you know? We just seem to have very critical hearts. And so when people hear from us, they hear a lot of, a lot of critical thinking, critical thoughts. For some of us, it's gossip. We like to talk about other people's sins and their indiscretions. We want to talk about their lives in a way that puts them down while lifting us up. For some of us, it's anger. Man, we have words that come flowing out of our mouth that shows our discontentment for the world that God has created for us, the life that God has given us, the place that God has put us in. That's what anger is. It's a dissatisfaction with God's will in our lives. For some of us, it's division. We like to speak words that pair people against one another so that we can step back and we can create some sense of disunity. But it's not your mouth that's the problem. It's your untamed heart. Every time you open your mouth, what's happening is, is you're opening a window into the inventory of your heart. And likely, the wounds of your heart. And likely, the damages that your heart has received. Right? So there's undealt with things in your heart that makes it so what comes out of your lips clues us in to something that has gone and remains un 
dealt with. And whatever goes undealt with in your heart is what gets dealt out to others. So it's really helpful as you're all squirming there in your chairs to see, I'm squirming up here. Let's squirm together, shall we? Because see, it's not enough to say, I just got to keep my mouth shut. Although there are times when you need to keep your mouth shut. Proverbs tells us a fool is thought to be wise when he stays silent. That's a paraphrase. There are times to keep your mouth shut, but what we're talking about here in terms of taming the tongue being a matter of taming the heart, it's not enough to just keep your mouth shut. We need to ask why what keeps coming out of our mouth keeps coming out. We need to explore the depths of what's shaping our words. Listen, some of you have wounds so deep, so deep, that you need to talk to somebody who can help you unearth them in order to find some healing. If you find that the words out of your mouth tend to be some of the things that we just described. Some of you may need less intense or advanced help, but you need to ask hard questions and connect with somebody who can be honest and patient and loving and a safe place for you. The taming of the tongue is really the taming of the heart. Can we tame it? James just said we can't tame it. Well, we can't, but we know who can. We have a savior. Secondly and finally, the taming of the heart is an action step. It's turning from evil and doing good. And this is where the fight comes in. But thankfully, the Christian life is for the faint of heart. So for all of us who feel like fight, I don't think I have it in me to fight. Well, you don't. Great. That's a great first step. You don't have it in you to fight in and of yourself, but the spirit inside you will help fight against these things. Look what first, uh, Peter says in First Peter chapter three, he says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. So that's something we do with our mouth. Bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Then he says this, listen up. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So turning from evil and doing good is about repentance. And by the way, repentance is not merely confession. It's not saying, man, I'm just such a bad dude. That's trendy right now, right? We get, we get some points doing that, especially if you're a pastor and you're all self-deprecating. You're telling people, oh man, I'm just the worst. You know, confession is good, but if it's not married to repentance, it's something that needs to be repented of. Because it's not leading into a heart change. So what Peter is talking about here is an actual turning away from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a fight, by the way. If it was a fight for Paul, 
It's going to be a fight for us. And when our heart is being tamed by the power of the spirit, something interesting happens in that we begin to have reordered desires and we begin to have restored strength to keep our tongues from evil and deceit. Well, what are some practical ways we do that? Let's turn to Colossians chapter three. Make a hard left there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I learned that in my Bible drills 50 years ago. Sometimes things stick. Colossians chapter three, look at what Paul is encouraging the church. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Look at these action steps that Paul is giving us in terms of taming the tongue by taming the heart and turning from evil and doing good. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, save, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me just read these next five verses. It says, put on then. So first Paul tells us what to put off as a way to Tame the tongue by taming the heart and turning. Here's the turning. Put on then. Not just put off, but put on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Then he finishes with this beautiful passage in verse 16. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you, do you see what Paul is calling us to do and how these are the action steps that we take that can be the way in which our heart is tamed and we turn from evil and we do the good for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Put to death what is earthly. Put on love instead. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you as you receive it inside of you. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Because our words are subtle but potent 
and our tongue is untamable in our own strength. And unfortunately, it's a conduit for good and evil. Where do our words, our thoughts, our motivations and passions that spring from our heart and ought not to be so, where do they find deliverance? Although we can't tame the tongue in our own power, like we said, our tongues become tamed as Christ renews our minds, transforms our desires. It's what Paul is saying here in Colossians. Because whatever goes undealt with in your heart is what gets dealt out to others. But it doesn't have to be. Because Christ redeems our hearts, it means the words that flow from them can become fountains of life for ourselves and for others. We can speak words that praise God and give grace to others through encouragement and building up. We can withhold our tongues in wisdom so that God is glorified and others aren't injected with the subtle but potent poison of our tongues. In the end, prayer will be our most powerful words to help us in the fight against the poisonous tongue. In the end, God's word will be our most powerful words in taming our hearts so that they express themselves with the life-giving words of Jesus who died so that our words might be transformed from poison to praise. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that through James, we are given such an honest and illuminating look at the power that our words have, the power of our tongue. So God, we know that in and of ourselves, we don't have the power to tame it. But Lord, we have to pray and plead with you that you would tame our hearts, Lord, so that our tongues would be tamed. And Lord, that we would be a people that turn away from sin, that we do good, that we set our minds on things that are above, that we put to death what is earthly. Lord, we know this is an ongoing work of sanctification. We know that daily we fail. And yet we also know that we have your words to guide us, to encourage us, to help us. And to help us remember that though our tongues can alter the course of our life and sometimes defeat us and sometimes put us in a corner that we didn't desire to be in, Lord, you are the great redeemer. You can restore us and you do. So we thank you for the grace that we have even over the words that we say. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.